stuff like that. Churches are just supposed to, and then, and then they'll say something like, um, preach the gospel. Uh, so, so my question is always, what do you think the gospel is? Because if the gospel involves Jesus being in charge of everything, then that means when we're looking at political things, we have to draw a line and say, this, I'm, I'm, I'm not letting the government cross into this line in my life because Jesus is in charge of everything. The government doesn't have that availability um, or ability to do that. And so that's where you have to push back. And I think, well, it's always been, it's always been through the course of history where churches were the, the politically um, uh, 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 rallying groups. Um, now, not for things like, you know, taxes on, you know, schools and things like that. I don't think that comes to the level of uh, what what the uh, what uh, the pulpit is maybe as Christians but not the pulpit but things like that are politicized things like abortion and um, traffic children and all this kind of stuff th- those are those are issues the church has got to get involved with when you're when you're talking about how people are being um, uh, oppressed and attacked and and literally lives being destroyed uh, then you got to get involved and then when we see that the expansion of government like we're seeing right now. I think it's the responsibility of the church to shout out some, some warnings that say, wait a second, we are losing our freedoms. Why? Because eventually the freedom, of, uh, the, the, uh, freedom to worship is going to be the, the, the next thing that's lost. We, we think that it doesn't matter, then the church can just stay quiet. That's, that's American church thinking. That's not world church thinking. You go around the rest of the world where there are some extremely oppressed people and and controlled by the government and, all, and communist states and things like that, uh, the churches is, is as active as they can possibly be. Um, and people are put in jail and lose their lives over it too. And so there has to be, we, we've got to reshape some of this conversation in the church thinking. I mean, I think we've already done that here, but uh, there's, still, there's still chunks of the church that don't think that um, the church should be involved in anything civic or political. And that's, I just, man, I just do not understand that. So with everything that's going on, um, continue to pray. I still think that our, our main two prayers, uh, main two things that we pray for are justice and truth, that the uh, justice of the Lord will be and that, um, that, that, that truth will rise to the surface. I always, in my head, always relate it to attire, I, I mention this every now and then, you probably uh, know this, but um, tires, the reason, the reason you can't like put tires in landfills and things like that is because tires float. And they float, like if you just go bury a tire out here in the field, and I don't, it depends on the, the soil and everything else, but that tire will eventually come to the surface because tires float. That's why they grind them up and do all this other kind of stuff. That's also why when you see a bunch of tires in a field, you see the top half, because that's the buoyancy level. You, do you understand? That's the equilibrium level. So um, I, I really think that's how it is with truth. You can bury it. You can put it deep uh, underneath all kinds of darkness and evil and everything else. But truth eventually comes to the surface. Uh, that's why we have to pray. We, we, we pray this into existence and believe this. Uh, a little update on the building. We are uh, doing everything we can. The, uh, we're, we're a few months out to be able to actually start um, the construction process. I think, I mean, I think we'll start some things, but like the real construction uh, of the building, we're still a few months out with this. 
Um, so the, the idea here is just to continue to uh, give your monthly commitment. And being a few months out doesn't actually hurt us because two things happen. Our note goes down and the amount of, of uh, money that we have to work with in the building fund goes up. So that's not a bad thing. Although for me personally, I would like to start tomorrow. But uh, we just do this. We know the city has got the city's got all kinds of things they have to do, and then we got to go back and forth with plans with the city until they say, "Okay, now you're ready to build." And then that's when we do that. And, uh, and so that's going to be a, a little bit here. And on, and uh, one last thing: the outreach <clears throat> that uh, that you saw in the announcements, the uh, soup supper that we're going to be the soup lunch that we're going to be having in a month. That is uh, all three of the churches are coming together, Hispanic Church, Russian Church, and us, we're all coming together to have this outreach together. And I'm uh, really looking forward to, to what that looks like, looking forward to, the, um, to, to how. We haven't actually done one like this yet, and so uh, we're still looking at what, at what it looks like, but excited about it. So I, I actually uh, changed, I had, um, the next few weeks I had some other messages I was going to be speaking, and I'd been, I'd been talking about this. But after, after last week's message, I had a lot of feedback about this, and so I think it's important that, um, that we go down this road first, and I'm going to talk about this this week, and then I'm going to be a similar subject to this next week, but not exactly the same. But with everything that's going on in our society today, and all the, all the evil and the darkness is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then, then you add all the political stuff where, where literally we can watch a, in, in, a, in a free democratic republic where we, where we elect people to positions of authority and responsibility to represent the people and to be the legal uh, corrupted and stalled for our country when we can watch an election literally be uh, corrupted and stolen and robbed like this. There, there is a lot of tension. There's a lot of things going on um, all across our country. Then when we see where, where we have um, open attacks like with Antifa and BLM and things like that, and we see all of this, we see all this cascading. And, and literally for a year now, we've been watching, and at least for me, maybe, maybe you're similar with this, but for me, every time the next thing come up, you think, okay, now... Now somebody will do something. Now the, the government will take control. Now the police will do this. Now our, our legislators will step in. Now, and, and, and then time after time after time, we see that it, that it doesn't happen, that it hasn't happened. And we're seeing where there is just a, a continuous, we're, we're falling, we're, we're, we're cascading like down a, this, this dark hole and we can't seem to, do anything at least at least from my perspective the average person we don't we just don't have power anymore we don't have the ability anymore used to be our representatives represented us and that's not the case now we vote them in and they they do what they want and then they tell us this is what I'm going to do you got to deal with it and here's the goofy part we keep electing them that's the part that just drives me crazy we keep electing them and so then what happens what are we doing this is where, at the end of the, the, uh, at the, end of the, the um, message last week, I was talking about um, that we've got to really, truly love everybody. And it was, it was overwhelming to me how many people either came and talked to me, either through the week, 
many people during right after the services last week, um, emails, texts, just conversations that I had throughout the week, uh, how many people said something along these lines, very similar in this arena of discussion, I am so angry right now, I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated right now with everything that's going on. And there's different things that are affecting people differently. But I am so frustrated. I'm so angry. What do I do? And uh, because that was the end of the message was, well, we still have to love everybody. Well, how do we love these people? And so, so I, think this is, I think this is very important for us to take this step this morning, is to look at, and we're going we're gonna to look at two things together, kind of how they balance how do you fight and then how, how do you forgive at the same time? How do you stand up for the things that you're supposed to stand up to, uh, to against? Scripture tells us to stand up against these kind of things. Um, how do you do that and at the same time walk in grace and love and forgiveness? Because we are called by God to do that too. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help. Um, I'm going to try to help you take steps forward in these kind of things, but there's no way I can lay out a plan that's specific for you. You've got to go to God and you've got to talk to the Lord about this kind of stuff. What happens when you get attacked? What happens when, and, 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 I, and just in a general sense, this is the one that just gets me is, is how, do you, how do you love people that they're, they're, it seems to be their only goal in life is to murder babies and to make sure that that's available for us? How do you how do you just walk in, in like there's nothing going on? And then when we see this from the political side where it's being pushed, it's being financed, it's being mandated in all kinds of different ways and, and, and trying to be woven into our society so much that it will never be able to be loosed. What, what about, this is, this is always just a big one for me, is the, the traffic kids. We know that there are major major parts of Washington, D.C., major leaders throughout the Congress, the Senate, and everything that are, that are part of this trafficking children thing. Um, here's one thing that just, just, this is just a casual, you know, I always say that, uh, that one of the things that we know, that the whole country knows, is Epstein didn't kill himself. Well, here's the question for me. What happened to all of that? Who, who's investigating any of that? We know they, that we have his girlfriend in custody. Who's doing anything about it? Who's, who's, see, this is going to be something that's going to be continuously fought. In fact, I believe this is one of the main reasons that the left has been so strongly against Trump from day one is because they knew he had no ties to anything. He wasn't paid for by um, lobbyists and, and, and um, corporations and stuff like that. He had his own money. And he also had made very strong statements about trafficking children and the issues that are going on with that. That's one of the, regardless of how you look at like um, um, border walls and immigration and stuff like that, here's a reality with this. One of the main reasons that there has been a fight there and a, and a uh, contest that says we, we've got to, to uh, control the borders of our country is because of, hu of human trafficking. It's, it's not just whether people are coming into the country. That's really not the issue, and I don't really think that's ever been the issue. The issue is, what are people doing that's legal and illegal? Well, you, you can't let illegal things happen. 
And then also, there are children by the hundreds of thousands per year that are coming into our country. And most of those are coming across the southern border. These are, these are our, our children, boys and girls, that are put into um, uh, sex slave mentalities. And, and when the government, and the government is extremely involved in all of this, and Hollywood's extremely involved in all this, we get, we get testimonies all the time of this. We get people that are saying this is going on. We get evidence of it, and then all of a sudden it's quiet again. We get the Epsteins that, 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 that pop into the limelight, and all of a sudden they're quieted. Why? Because this is very deep within our country. And here's the thing with me is I, I, I struggle, I really struggle to love those people. In fact, there's, there's, there's uh, groups all around our country. They're private, they're private companies that are financing this stuff, and they're becoming more and more prevalent, which I appreciate, um, that are fighting against human trafficking. And these corporations are funding, like, Navy SEAL guys to go around the world and stop uh, human trafficking. Where is it starting? Where is it coming into? That's why I get so frustrated when I hear groups like the FBI that say, oh, we arrested 31 human traffickers this uh, last year, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children are trafficked, and they'll arrest each year. They'll arrest twenty or thirty people that are doing this. That that's a game. That's that's for po- po- politics. That's not really doing the job. That's not really getting in there because why? They don't want to because there's too many people involved. This is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. That we that we. St- that we're, this is our country now. This is our country. America um, import, imports more uh, children traffic than any country in the world. This is our country. We murder babies by the hundreds of thousands. Every year, this is our country. This is, this is the part. And then we push the LGBT um, issues so strongly that it's becoming almost like peer pressure in junior high in our schools now that kids should talk about being transgender or, or, or I'm gay or all this other kind of stuff. And we're seeing this stronger. And stronger. This, is, this is one of the major problems in our junior highs. And so this is where everybody kept coming up to me after service last week and through the whole week saying, I'm angry about all this stuff. What do I do? I don't know if I can love. I don't know if I can care for these people. I don't know if I can do that. Well, so I struggle with this too. I struggle with, with these things. So there's two things that I think we have to process. I'm going I'm to talk about the, the first one a little bit, and then we're really going to go into the second one. And the first thing is we've got to fight. We've got to fight. We can't be quiet about this. We, we, um, our church here supports uh, Sarah's Home, which is a home to rescue um, traffic girls. When we first started that, um, I, I was in on the beginning of starting it, and then we had a, um, a different uh, president of the board for a few years, and then I was president of the board for a few years. But when we first started it, um, there was less than 100 beds to house girls like in dormitory mentalities in the entire nation for human trafficking. Some different groups started right here in Colorado. We had three or four um, rescue groups for human trafficking start. They were all eventually closed down by the government for some reason. It was all 
hokey stuff. How, you know, are, is, the, um, is the building set up right to do this? Or is the building set up? Although the government is doing nothing about this. Nothing about this. And so, um, we uh, support Sarah's home. I was involved heavily with doing, taking care of some of this stuff. I was, I had met every one of these girls. I knew what was going on with, with their lives. And it, it was tragic, some of the stories that you come across with kids. Do, do you realize that the average uh, age of a girl that is human trafficked uh, and then prostituted in the process is nine years old? As we have to fight this kind of stuff. We have to stand up and fight. One of the ways is to give money to groups like Sarah's Home. And there's not that many out there. And every time some, one of them starts, they get shut down somehow. The government doesn't like this. And definitely, if they have anything to do with Jesus, anything to do with Jesus, the government will do everything it can to shut this home down. And we had dealt with this for years. They still do. So, so giving to things like that, getting involved, volunteering at places like that. You can, you can fight um, uh, volunteering at uh, pregnancy centers, anything along those lines where you can make some kind of stand and say, this is not okay. I can do something about this. I can spend a Saturday a month volunteering for one of these places. Learning to fight, to really get in and spiritually fight. Now you understand that your biggest tool in fighting is praying. Praying for... Um, Praying for whatever the subject that you think. I mean, there's so many right now, right? There's so much that's going on in our country. Pray for the government. Pray for leaders. Um, get together with other people and pray for trafficked kids. Pray for um, uh, ladies that are um, being tempted or enticed uh, to have an abortion. This stuff is strongly pushed in different settings in schools. That's why it, when we have like um, Liz, Jan's, um, our youth pastor's wife, she's a counselor now. She's in the schools. We need Christian counselors in the schools because secular counselors will, non-Christian counselors will, will strongly encourage these kids in transgender issues and abortion issues and things like that. And, and they have the legal right to not tell their parents, junior high kids, sixth graders, seventh graders, that the counselor can keep this from the parent and the child doesn't have to tell the parent, but they can confide in the school. Back in my day, they told your parents everything. My, my dad had a rule. If you got in trouble at school, you got in trouble at home. It didn't matter whether you were right or wrong. You would get in trouble at home. Then we would figure out whether you were right or wrong to see if you needed more trouble. I mean, that, I, I, I say stuff like that, and I know the younger generation now is like, oh, that's so funny. That's truth. I'm not making this stuff up. The school would immediately call. And also, the schools could uh, spank kids back in our day, too. Which, by the way, I know this makes me a horrible parent, a horrible person today in today's society. I think schools should still be allowed to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with a kid getting spanked at school because nowadays they're not getting spanked anywhere else. They're not. School might as well be one of the places. It's weird how, how we, we don't set the standards. We don't have the moral codes. We don't think. And then we wonder why our country is like it is. Guys, we've got to fight. We've got to pray. 
We've got to pray for our country. And we've got to pray specifically, God, save our country. You know, the Second Chronicles, um, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. Then God will hear. We've got to get that mindset. So the first thing is fight. And here's the next one. And this is the big one. And this is, I'm going to spend a little time, is, is to forgive. I think this is, I, I feel very confident that this is probably the, the um, thing that affects Christianity and affects the church uh, as much or more than anything else. John Bevere in his, in his book, Bait of Satan, says that the number one problem inside the church is offense, people being offended. It's not the sin, it's not all the other stuff comes along, <clears throat> it's people being offended. Somebody gets upset because somebody did this or somebody said this, and then when people are mad at each other, and then this is going on. And we don't, we don't really, um, at least as far as I know, um, we don't really have that going on in our church. And I mean, we had it in the past, but we don't now. Um, but I don't see that. I don't hear that. Maybe I'm just blind to it. But we just don't have that, and I think that's a strong thing. Because if you walk around waiting to be offended, first, you will always have opportunity. There will always be opportunity to be offended. Somebody's going to say or do something. Somebody's going to say or do something that you don't like. Um, and then you can be offended, and then it begins to build, and then you begin to talk or gossip or attack or whatever. This, this destroys church bodies. This destroys the family of God. This tears down the kingdom. The, the, the next step of offense is uh, unforgiveness and bitterness. And that grows in our lives. And so Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to think about this. How do you forgive somebody that has wounded you deeply? I, I don't mean perceived wound or, or perceived offense. That happens a lot in our lives. Really, somebody didn't do something. We just got upset over something, Right? Uh, somebody cuts you off in traffic, of course, you cut off seven people in traffic before that. But it doesn't matter because that was you and you've got a good heart. But this person cuts you off in traffic and you know that they are Satan's spawn. And so therefore, they are, they are to be, uh, you are to be angered at them deeply. I had, I had some people driving bad around me one time, this was years ago. And, I, and in my head, for the next 30, 40 minutes of driving, I designed in my head how you could have uh, shotguns come out the side of your car and blow out the tires of the people on the sides of you. And while I'm doing that, I probably cut off seven or eight people, right? But I, that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm saying you really were wounded. Somebody really did something horrible. We, we've seen where there's um, uh, abuse from, from in your childhood, from family members or... or or something like that. You see where somebody has, has attacked you for whatever reason. Um, you, you lose your job. Becomes some, I mean, we could name things all day long. How, how, do you, how do you deal with that? How about when somebody has attacked your friends or family? Somebody attacked your spouse at their workplace or something. There's only so much you can do, right? What about your kids? When you hear this thing that happened to your kids... That's a, that's a difficult one, right? I, I've, um, I've already been having this conversation with my son, with his daughter and, and son, um, about the fact that, that at some point that somebody is going to do something horrible to your kids. It is the way it is. It's called life. 
and he's a pastor in a church, he's a children's pastor, I said, wait till that person that does it is somebody that works closely with you in the ministry and they really hurt your children. I can give you stories all day long. What happens? How do you, what do you do with that? How, what do you, how, do you, how do you just, do you just move on? What if, you, what if you know of people that are hurting some others or hurting you and you know that this is evil, this is malicious, this is destructive? How do you forgive somebody under those circumstances? Matthew chapter 6, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And, um, and Jesus taught them to pray. I don't think he necessarily taught them how to pray, although this, this um, little part of Scripture is a good how-to also. There's some basic things in it. Just look at it. There's a, the opening is, is praise and rejoicing to God. Uh, then you give your petitions. You acknowledge him as being in charge of your daily steps. I mean, all these different things. A great outline for any kind of prayer. But God, Jesus didn't say, pray this exactly like this every time you pray. That's one of the things that the church is, has done weird is we, we repeat this prayer, which is not bad, but it shouldn't ever replace your prayers. I had an uh, administrative assistant years ago that um, had only been saved a year or two, and she had, she had grown up. She was in her late 50s at that time, and she had grown up in the Catholic Church, like very devout. She was very good Catholic. And, uh, but she said, you know, we never read the Bible, we never did that stuff. So she actually got saved one day, because she'd never heard about that. And then after about a year, we were sitting there talking one time. She said, you know what I like about our church? She said, is all these free-form prayers. And I said, what, are, what is that? What are you talking about? What are free-formed prayers? She said, you know, like when you, at the end of the service, you just pray. You're not praying the Lord's Prayer. You're just praying. It's free. It just came from you. She said, I love that about our church. See, in my head, that's the only way I knew. I didn't grow up Catholic. That's the only way I knew. I was talking to God. I didn't know I was supposed to be using somebody else's words. I thought I was supposed to be using mine. Right? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, pray like this. He didn't say pray this. He said pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, that's part of the way you fight right there. These opening sentences. Lord, your will done here. I plead your will over our government. I plead your will over my family. The will that you already wrote in heaven, I pray it over them right now. God already has a plan. We have to get into that plan. We have to pray into that plan. We have to uh, uh, obey into that plan. It doesn't just happen, but he does have a plan. He does have a, a, a purpose for you. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins. I heard a great sermon years ago. I was a kid. I remember this. Um, give us the food today that we need. And, uh, and, and this, this uh, speaker, he wasn't the pastor of the church, and our pastor was kind of heavy. And he said, guys, there's a lot of you in this building that are heavy, that you're not praying for the food you need. You're eating everything in front of you. And I thought, as a kid, because my dad was always really big. And as a kid, I remember thinking, that's not good. Because he was preaching on gluttony. He was preaching on that that's a sin. 
That it's a sin, the things that we do with our body sometimes. I'm saying like that. It says, give us the food that I need today. Forgive us our sins. Now look at this. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Forgive me in the exact same uh, context that I forgive others. Forgive me in the exact degree that I forgive others. Forgive me um, in, in, the, um, in the same mentality that I forgive others. Forgive me in equality with how I forgive others. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then in verse 14, he comes back. He, he only addresses a couple of things after this. This, the, this and then a few sentences right after this. But, but let's look at this. He, because in the prayer he says, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Verse 14, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. It doesn't say that they, that they really didn't do something wrong. They sinned against you. It's what it says. They've, they harmed you. They did something to you. If you forgive those people, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Because this is one of the strongest things I believe that there has to do with our personal walk with Jesus in, in all the New Testament. Our personal walk with Jesus. If you don't forgive, you cannot be forgiven. Now, it's not like Jesus is sitting there saying, well, if you're not going to forgive, I won't forgive you. That's not what he's saying. It's much bigger than that. Jesus dies on the cross because he loves every single human being on this planet. And his grace is given to us. His blood is poured out so that we could be made right with God. That is the love of Jesus that does that. And that is grace that makes that happen. We deserve to be punished for our sin. We deserve to have um, uh, be held accountable for our sin. But Jesus says, I'm going to do something really big here. His grace says that I'm going to let my blood forgive you and you will not be responsible for those sins anymore uh, eternally. Now, there may be some, some accountability on this planet that happens there, but, but you will be completely forgiven and free. And that's what Ephesians 5 says. He presents us to God the Father as his bride, completely spotless without sin. When we take this thing called grace and we say that it's only for me, to receive, but it's not, for, for, it's not for me to give, there's something very wrong with that thought process. I can, I can receive grace, which I don't deserve, but I can't give grace to people that might even deserve it. Might not, but might deserve it. But I'm the one who decides that grace stops here. This is what happens. This is just a visual. It's like pipes, running water with pipes. The moment you stop that up somewhere, the entire system stops there. It's no longer flowing. Grace is no longer flowing through your life. It's stopped up. It's not being uh, utilized or exercised. It's stopped right there, which means it's no longer uh, a part of your existence. There is not this forgiveness that's happening. There's not grace that's happening. You stopped grace from happening. And God says, when you stop grace, it all stops. Stops for you, stops uh, for going through you to somebody else. It stops. 
The only way that grace can really be in our life is if it is flowing through us to other people. Guys, this is one of the reasons that I think witnessing is so important in our, in our Christian walk. Telling others about Jesus, telling others about forgiveness, praying with people to be saved, those kind of things. Why? Because God's grace, His salvation is flowing through us to uh, other people, flowing through us. That means it's always happening. I think one of the reasons that it's so easy for us um, in the church, in church mentality, to be what I was talking about earlier, offended, or be legalistic, or be um, critical with other people, is because the, the love, grace, forgiveness of the Lord is not flowing through our existence. And because it's not flowing through us, it's not active in our life, and it becomes, um, it, it, uh, it gets, it gets cor- corrupted. This is, this is why witnessing is so big, because it flows through us. This is why forgiveness is so big, because it flows through us. The last few months, I've really been processing this a lot, actually. Um, just praying, God, I know what you want to do. I talked about this a little bit um, on a Wednesday night, that the more God's power and grace and things are active in our life, the more there's an immediate accountability to that in ways that, like, it's like getting closer to a fire. The further out from the fire you are, you, you, there, is less, there is less heat and direct accountability to that. The closer to the fire you get, the more accountability there is directly to that. And so when that happens, if we really want God to be in charge of our life, if we really want him to do the supernatural, in other words, a big fire in our, in our spirit of the Holy Spirit, if we really want God to do those kind of things, we are more accountable to that the more that God is doing. There's more accountability. You're closer in. I use Ananias and Sapphira as the example of this. Closer you are in, there's immediate accountability. That's why Ananias and Sapphira died immediately when they, when they sinned like that. But we can do the same thing today and we don't die. There's not as much, we're not as close to the fire. We're not as close to God doing supernatural things and big stuff and pouring out his spirit and people getting saved and all this kind of thing. And so as I've been praying through this, God, I know that you're doing this. I know that you are. So, so God, what do I need to do differently? I don't want to be standing close to the fire and actually cause problems with what God is doing because of something that is in my spirit that's not right. Something that I, my attitude or something. And so as I'm praying about this, God really brought to, the, to my mind, my spirit, um, forgiveness, ever really forgiven. And I thought, yeah, I'm good. And then God begins to bring up issues and situations from my past and circumstances and distant past, near past, all that kind of stuff. And I realized I don't think I've forgiven as much as I thought I had. I, I wanted to, and I, and, and, and I kind of was okay with the stuff. until. And here's one of the ways that the Lord showed me as Lynn and I were having a conversation about something. I think we were talking to somebody else. And somebody came up. This was from years ago. Somebody came up. You know what that tells me? I haven't forgiven as much as I think I have. Why can't I just sit there and be quiet? Why can't I say something um, neutral? Why does it have to be negative? The reason it's negative is because that's what was sitting in my spirit waiting to come out. I just didn't know it. I hadn't processed it. I thought, well, I'm for, I've forgiven them. I'm okay. Guys, we have to forgive. If we don't forgive, it stops what the Holy Spirit is trying to do with us. Forgiveness is way more about us than who we're trying to forgive. Way more about us. Matthew chapter 18. Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? We all know the answer to this, what Jesus says. 
No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's 490. Now you understand, Jesus wasn't saying at 491 you can stop forgiving. That's not what he was saying. He was just using a big number. He was taking Peter's number of seven and saying, uh, multiply it 70 times. He could have very easily have said 700 times seven. Okay? It's, it's not the amount. That's not the key. In fact, if you're really counting, you're not forgiving. If you're like, that was 27th time I've forgiven you. You're not forgiving. You're keeping record. Right? Okay, here's just an important one to throw out here. Because um, this is one of the biggest things in marriage that we struggle with. We remember things forever. Right? And we're good, we're good, we're good, until all of a sudden something happens within that context, and now you're bringing up stuff that happened years ago. If you're bringing up stuff that happened years ago, you're the problem. Even if they're wrong about that, even if this is is an evil pattern that they have in their existence, you bringing it up means you've not forgiven, you have not done what you're responsible for. Not what they're responsible for, but you're responsible for, you haven't forgiven. You haven't moved on. There is something that you're holding on to. That's your issue. It's not their issue. We, we, we know this, right? We know this in our brains. But man, how difficult is it to get into our spirit? You know something interesting that does not happen in this scripture? This, Peter says, how often do I forgive? Seven times. Jesus immediately answers him. You know what Jesus does not do? He does not ask Peter the context. He doesn't ask him what the wrong was done against him. He doesn't ask him what the sin. Why? Think about this. Why does Jesus not ask Peter the, the, the grievance that Peter might have against whoever this person is? Because I think Peter was talking about somebody specific, Right? That's how we are as humans. We're not just like, well, you know, on the subject of forgiveness, here's a, uh, a neutral question with no attachment to my soul. That's not how we are, especially on these kind of things. Peter was specifically thinking about somebody that had wronged him. But, but here's the thing. Jesus doesn't ask him. Why? Because it's irrelevant. Forgiveness has nothing to do with what they've done to you. Forgiveness is between you and God. It's not between you and them. It's between you and God, and you are releasing the hold that this has on your spirit. You're not absolving them of their sin. You're not saying what they did is okay. That's, those are complete different subjects. What you're doing is saying, this has got a hold of me and my spirit, and I don't want that anymore. I want God to be in control of my heart and my spirit and my mind. I don't want anything else. And I definitely don't want somebody else. There's a, there's a term that people use nowadays that I, I like, um, that that person is living rent-free in your head. Why do you want them there? So you can relive that, what they did to you, what they said to you day after day, after year after year, after decade after decade. I know some people that are so caught up in their bitterness and their unforgiveness that they have just decided, I am never ever going to forgive them. That's, that's a bad place to be. And I've heard people say that. Um, I will never forgive you. Which means what? 
Let's jump all the way to the end. Let's not use in-between statements. Let's jump all the way to the end, which means you can't go to heaven. What? What do you mean you can't go? If you can't be forgiven, you can't go to heaven. Unforgiveness. This, this is the sad irony that Satan does to us, and we are complicit in it. He, he does everything he can to try to hurt you through people. And, and, and then he gets somebody that really can, can do a good job of this. And they hurt you. Maliciously hurt you. And it hurts deep. And then he convinces you to not forgive them and to hold that in your spirit. What we think we're doing is we're holding them accountable. But you're not holding them accountable. Sometimes these people go off and forget who you are. We think we're holding them accountable. We're not. Satan convinces you to hold on to this and it becomes strong. And he builds a little lock around your spirit. And it stops us from forgiving and it stops us from being forgiven. And then you end up in hell and he played you from the very beginning until the last second. Laughing at you the whole way. See, forgiveness is not about you and the person. It's about you and God. It's getting that control, that, that, that thing that Satan is trying to do to manipulate you. Get that out of your spirit and get free from it. That's what forgiveness does. In fact, one of the big, biggest things you can do to, this is not the right way to do it, but I'll put this language to it. The best way you can get back at the person that hurt you is forgive them because then they, ha they have no more input in your life. They have no more control over your life. Cut that control that they have off. Surrender to God and forgive them. And it's amazing what God can do with this. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave him his debt. You understand this is a nice parallel to understand how God forgives us, right? You know that, right? That we can have a debt of millions of dollars and God will just forgive us. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his, creditors, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I, I've seen this. I've done this myself. Where Jesus forgives me of everything and I can't forgive somebody of, a, of an offhanded sentence, they said. Maybe not even meaning to hurt me, but oh, it, it hurt me. And I won't forgive them. It's amazing how as people, we're, it's so easy for us to do this. When, the other, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man and he had forgiven and said, you, will, you evil servant, I forgive you. I forgave you the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have your mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his debts. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's, he says God will torture you. I, I, I'm not making, I'm not changing, that's what the scripture says. 
This is what God will do. Jesus is saying this. This is what God will do to you. Guys, us forgiving people is very important to the Lord. It hurts us to not forgive, and it hurts our relationship with Jesus when we don't forgive. We know these things, right? We know this. Did, did we have the communion, or is that, a, is that okay? As, um, <clears throat> as they pass out the communion, he, here's, here's part of the deal with this. See, any time I ever have um, taken communion, this is always the, the central focus for me. Is, and I get this out of 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11 where he, he says, don't take this unworthily or you'll bring sickness to disease and even death to your life. Um, th- this is the thing for me is I don't want to play around with the stuff of God. I don't want to play around with, with um, his grandeur and his and his uh, majesty. I don't want to play around with the holiness of the Lord. I don't want to play around with the fact that he's the king over everything. My responsibility is to bow my life to him. It's not, it's not to try to tell him, God, how to do things. It's not to try to fix stuff in my life. I bow my spirit before the king. I bow my life and my spirit before the king. And so for me, anytime I'm taking communion, I always just ask the Lord to forgive me. If there's anything that, I, that is, is wrong in my mind and my spirit, anything I haven't done, I, I want to get it right with the Lord. I don't want to play around with this. It's too important. Guys, this earth is, is a tiny little blip on the screen. It's a small little blip on the screen. Let's, let's get this right. Let's be who the Lord has asked us to be. So I want you to bow your head with me, and we're, gonna, we're going to um, um, pray together. But I, I, I want this to be more of a your prayer than a, a me prayer. I, I want you to be saying to the Lord, God, this is what I need to do different. This is, this is somebody I need to forgive. Ask him, Lord, have I forgiven anybody in my life? If as you're saying that, people are popping into your mind, that might be an indicator you need to deal with something right there. Just because why are these people popping in your mind at this point? Right? You didn't say, Lord, um, show me ice cream and cotton candy, right? When you say, Lord, who do I need to forgive? When you have certain people pop in your mind, at least pray about it. At least talk to God about it. Don't assume that everything is good. So while we're praying, we're going to spend a little bit of time praying before we finish this. But to, to say, Lord, I, I, need, I need to be a forgiver. So who do I need to forgive? All right, Lord, we come before you knowing that you're the king. Lord, you're the king of everything. You're the judge of everybody. Lord, I am the judge of nobody. Everything, everything is about you, Jesus. It is not about me. Lord, there are people in my life that have not treated me right. Lord, I want to make sure that between you and me, I'm good. That my relationship with you is good. Lord, if there's somebody that I need to forgive, if there's somebody I need to forgive, show me right now. Lord, I, I believe you've been showing me this over a few weeks now. So God, help me to forgive them. Help me to step out there and actually start forgiving them. Jesus, you're the king. 
You, you, you said that vengeance is yours, Lord, not mine. That I, I'm not allowed to take vengeance out on people, revenge out on people. That you take care of those things, not me. So, Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room. Lord, help us not to, help us not to be casual about this. Lord, help us to take this forgiveness thing seriously. That you're, that you're needing us to forgive others because you're wanting to forgive us. So, Lord, help us right now in our spirit. Help us to do this. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray before we take this communion together, I pray, Lord, that you would just forgive me. Forgive me of anything I've done that goes against your word, that goes against your will, your plan. Forgive me for anything that's not pleasing to you. Forgive me for attitudes or actions. Lord, forgive me for just the, the, the profound anger that builds up in my spirit with everything that's going on in our country. Lord, wash me. Lord, let your grace move through this building right now. Let your grace and forgiveness move through our hearts and our minds. Lord, chasing out all the stuff that doesn't need to be there, tearing down walls of unforgiveness that need to be destroyed, broken. Lord, help us just to bring these issues to you, to put them before you. In the name of Jesus. when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we get ready to take this, I believe there's a scriptural, um, a scriptural moment right here that we can focus on. Jesus said that the stripes he took, that the, the whipping and the beating he took at the cross, at the crucifixion, that that was done specifically so that we could be physically healed. Not, not just spiritually healed, but physically healed and redeemed. So as we're taking this, um, pray, God, heal me. Let's just do that. Lord, heal my body. Heal, heal my friend, my, my relative, my coworker. Lord, you are the healer. So, Lord, we ask you to heal. This is, what, this is what you do. This is your promise to us. And, Lord, we are representing that right now with this, with this, um, this, this wafer. Lord, we ask you to just to bring healing, physical healing to us. By your stripes, we stand on this and we claim this. In Jesus' name, let's take the, the bread together. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for being supernatural. We thank you for being our healer. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that we can do this year after year, century after century, to remember that you're our healer. God, we thank you. <coughs>
Lord, we thank you. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we ask you to open our spirit right now to see the reality of this. That we are asking to be forgiven because of your blood. But Lord, you just, you just showed us in your word that it's also something that we declare for the people in the future. That we declare for the people around us that they can also be forgiven and covered with your blood. And that until you come back, we are announcing the amazingness of you. We're announcing your forgiveness. We're announcing salvation. So wash us with your blood. In the name of Jesus. Let's take the cup together. Lord, help us to stand on the reality of your forgiveness. Lord, I pray all this week that you'll remind us of your forgiveness, that you'll remind us of your blood covering us, that you'll remind us. Lord, we want to be, we want to walk in your forgiveness and grace. So Lord, I pray again, help us to forgive others. Help us to, to have your grace flow through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for the amazing, wonderful gift of communion. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Help us not to take our life for granted, our forgiveness for granted. Help us not to take grace for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I know that, that um, I'm just touching the service with this forgiveness. I will talk about this more next week. <clears throat> but really, at the end of the day, this is you. You make the difference. I mean, the decision. <coughs> Excuse me. Nobody else can. Nobody else can. So, before noon tomorrow, <coughs> before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that Jesus died for them too. Do the best you can. Tell somebody. Tell somebody about who he is. And uh, God will honor that. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Men, we will see you uh, Friday night also.